0: historic loss in the Cotton Bowl Sooners fall to three and three and return to Norman seeking answers on how to match up with Kansas Jayhawks of all teams uh, you're listening to the mainline podcast I'm Adam Jacquez and I'm joined by Tyler Burton and Corbin Folson this evening guys it's been a rough three weeks for the Sooners but I hope you're doing better than this team
1: do we really have to do this right now like the last thing I want to do is talk about this game. I walked out of the game with two minutes to go in the third quarter on Saturday because my ride, my ride was ready to go. We had had tickets to go see Morgan wall and it was a quick turnaround. So I had to get out of there a little bit early, but I walking out of the cotton ball on Saturday, I thought, you know, number one, there's no chance in hell that a rewatch is happening for this. And then number two, I cannot believe for the third week in a row, we're going to have to come on here and talk about an Oklahoma loss, but yeah, it's, uh, it's embarrassing right now. It's, um, it's like walking on eggshells right now. feels like the state of the program in, uh, in Oklahoma right now, and we'll see. Uh, <laughs> I don't think we've hit rock bottom yet, but uh, you lose to Kansas on Saturday. Rock bottom, that's where you're located.
2: You know, guys, I was thinking, I was like, does this team need a win? And I caught myself, and I just said, no. I think more than anything, this team just needs a touchdown. Like, let's just start small here. Let's just score. Like, even a field goal at this point, like, I'd be pretty thrilled with I don't know, guys. It's the ugliest game that I can remember it's since I've been probably watching OU football since, I'll be honest, probably 2000. I was eight years old then. It's the last time I can remember actually watching games on TV. I think what is most frustrating about the Texas game, I don't think we were ever going to win that game, but there were opportunities in that game for us to be competitive. And we just like, shit down our leg every single time there was an opportunity to pull the score in. I mean – the Davis Bevel putting him back in after successfully running the wildcat. I think it was in the first quarter drive down the field. Davis Bevel goes back in. And all of a sudden, like you get stopped on fourth down, uh, twice. The, the, pop, the pop pass when you're success- on first and ten inside Texas's thirty. You do a pop pass when you've been running it down Texas's throat for play after play. It, it's just bizarre, guys. I don't understand. Part of me, part of me realizes that's got to be tough on on Jeff Levy to run an offense that is not his. I, I Part of me understands that. But when you have opportunities there to make that a game, at least early, to gain some confidence, to, to put points on the board against Texas, and you completely go away from everything that's working, you just got to shake your head. I don't know what else to do.
1: I think you've got to give Jeff Levy and this offensive staff a little bit of credit because they knew I mean they can they can do the coach speak, they can talk about how you know we did what we felt we had to do. Davis Bevel gave us the best chance to win. They knew going into that game on saturday if if Dylan Gabriel wasn't going to play, which by the way, Adam. We talked about it in pregame. That was the greatest warm-up session I think I've ever seen from a quarterback that was going to ultimately end up not playing. I had a little bit of confidence going into the game, especially once we saw Gabriel going through warm-ups. I thought, okay, this team's going to come out. Gabriel's going to play. There's going to be some life uh, within this team now that they've got their starting quarterback back. But once I saw him come out, had the pads off, had the baseball cap on, from that point forward, I knew that there was virtually no chance Oakland was going to win this game. What was Jeff Levy guys? What was your point? Just gamesmanship. That's it was all it is. They knew, he they knew he wasn't going to play on Wednesday.
0: It doesn't so why? change strategy. It does not change Texas's strategy and how they approach this team. It, it didn't change anything for them. So I don't know why they went through that whole charade for nothing, really.
1: Texas's defense ha- would have had to have. One, the respect factor, Dylan Gabriel versus Davis Bevel in terms of the opposing team's defense. But yeah, I, I think that from a, a schematic standpoint, Texas probably would have had to do some things differently, especially on the back end of the defense in coverage. Davis Bevel couldn't throw the ball, 6-12, 38 yards. His first pass, look, it was a duck. It was literally the worst throw that I've probably ever seen a, a Division one college football player make. And there was at from the moment that Davis Bevel went out there. I know that Oklahoma did some good things on the Wildcat, especially that second drive, drove it all the way down there, deep into Texas territory. Uh, why, for the life of me, after doing seven or eight consecutive Wildcat plays where they were moving the ball successfully, they throw Davis back, Bevel back in there at third and two, give it to Eric Ray, boom, get stuffed. Fourth and one. Okay, you've got Davis Bevel. Let's split him out wide. No. We're actually going to run the read option here and he and he's going to get stuffed. So I'm I'm not quite we'll talk about it here in a minute, but kind of big picture when talking about, you know, our thoughts on the the coordinators, this coaching staff, but I've got to at least applaud Jeff Levy because he knew going into this game, Davis Bevel gave this offense no chance over a four quarter game against the Quinn Ewers Texas offense. So, you know, give him some credit for going Wildcat and Oklahoma had no chance of winning this game on Saturday, completely outmatched from start to finish. My question Davis, is,
2: how is that possible? How at the University of Oklahoma do you not have a quarterback on your roster to complete a 10-yard throw? How exactly. is that possible?
0: So Davis Bevel had 26 plays under center and only produced 53 yards, oh, uh, from God. handing the ball off, from running it himself, or from passing it. I think he had what 38 total yards passing. Uh he was ineffective in throwing a screen pass or a swing pass of any kind. He really couldn't throw the ball. I think he had two passes the entire game that were over 10 yards down the field. One was an incompletion to to Marvin Mims. One was the Hail Mary interception to Julio Farouk. I don't fault him for that. At least they allowed allowed him to throw it down the field and give the receiver a chance in that situation. Mm -hmm. But it could have been Nick Evers who was standing out there handing the ball off or standing in the Wildcat. It could have been Braden Willis doing that. It could have been Jeff Levy himself (laughs) that was out there on the field doing that. And the results would have been basically the same. And that is infuriating as a fan that you can't find someone or at least try someone that could at least throw a swing pass. It's not a hard pass to do. There's tons of high school quarterbacks that can do that. Bevel was unable to do that. And they didn't even allow him the opportunity to try to throw the ball, really. They just said, you know what? You can't throw it. We're just going to try to run it the entire game. And when it was in the Wildcat, it was somewhat effective. But then they kept mixing back into the normal offense where the defense knew that Bevel was going to hand it off, or he didn't have the ability to to run after the read. So it was almost like a give up strategy, in my opinion.
1: Guys, Texas had more points than Oklahoma had passing yards. Think about but that for a second. I, I, think, I think it's
2: th- tough though, because you saw you you saw Evers come in late, and like the one pass he threw is like, oh, well, makes sense why he's behind Bevel. It, yeah, it's all bad. It's all bad, and that it just doesn't answer the question: How at the University of Oklahoma do you not have a guy who can complete a swing pass? I don't know how it's possible. At is least is that Evers, more on though,
0: He could have at least 50% of the time read the read option, right? And potentially have picked up yards running because Bevel was not a running threat. Right. So like, if you put Evers in, you at least get the same result at minimum, uh, in my opinion, because yeah. Bevel did pretty much nothing. And it's, it's sucks for him. Like, I know he sucks. He's getting a lot of criticism thrown his way. And it's, it's the coaches putting him in a bad position to succeed. I, I thought Levy He did some good things with the Wildcat, but he didn't slow the pace down nearly as much as he should have. He didn't put Bevel in an opportunity to succeed. And there's been a lot of discussion as, you know, is this the players? Is it the coaches? And I think early on, you know, against TCU and against K-State, it probably was the players not showing up with the toughness and mentality that they needed to. But the longer this goes on, the more it's on the coaches, because you can complain all you want about the talent that you have. But if you don't put the players in the position to succeed, that's coaching failure. Guys, let's see what we see and they look out
2: there in the practice field and they literally look at all the quarterbacks and be like, don't have a chance
1: guys I think that the biggest offensive criticism uh, that I've heard over the last few days is why do we continue on with Davis Bevel and not try another quarterback early in the first half or even come out of the gate in the second half on Saturday somebody tell me what the alternative was general booty yes I think he was they were anticipating on him being available to play uh, but I I think it was Parker Thune that reported that he had an allergic reaction he was having trouble seeing out of one of his eyes Uh, I can vouch for that I said 15 or 18 rows up from behind the bench. There were multiple occasions where the training staff was coming over and looking at his eye, it looked like he had something in it. So it was giving in trouble. It's but guys. W- uh, do we really want to trot out Nick Evers at, at this point in the season in that game? A true freshman with zero snaps, still isn't comfortable in this offense from everything that we've heard from Jeff Levy, who isn't ready to play. Let's throw him out there in the cotton bowl against Texas uh, in the biggest game of the year. Because if we do that, guys, I think that there's a serious possibility that there's a huge risk that you set this kid way back uh, in his development as a, you know, as a college quarterback, that he might never be the, might not ever be the same coming out of it. And aside from that, guys, yes. Davis-Bevel didn't play well. Davis-Bevel shouldn't be playing quarterback at a place like Oklahoma. And to be honest, guys, Davis-Bevel should never see the field in an Oklahoma uniform. God forbid if that actually has to happen again because Oklahoma's not winning a single football game if, if Dylan Gabriel's not playing quarterback this year. But realistically, who expected Davis-Bevel to play well against Texas? This guy was a career backup at Pitt. Oh, and by the way, he was going against the defense on Saturday, on Saturday that made Bryce Young look average. For three and a half quarters, just a few weeks ago. So, again, were our expectations in Davis Bevel too high? I think it's a, I think it's a little bit unfair the criticism that Jeff Levy and this offensive staff has, is, is uh, have they've gotten the last three days.
2: I think it's totally fair. I think it goes back to exactly what Adam was talking about. It may not have gotten better, but it couldn't have gotten worse. And so, having a quarterback that has some mobility. At least keeps the Texas defense honest. And the two throws that Davis Bevel threw downfield, I could make the throws. He just chucked it up. And so you might as well throw in somebody that I kind of get your point of like, you don't want to ruin a kid early. But as long as Gabriel's in the offense, Evers is not going to play anymore. So all this is is an experience opportunity for him to come in, use his legs, keep the Texas defense honest. You're telling me that he couldn't have done more with his legs than what Davis Bevel did because you can't compare arms because there's no comparison. He threw for 30-something yards. Anybody can do that in a college uniform. And, And I don't remember who tweeted it, but the amount of backup quarterbacks that had good weeks last week, win or loss, that were throwing for multiple hundred yards,
0: I don't know. San Diego state's quarterback was a safety that converted. uh, He was a quarterback in previous years, but converted back to quarterback this week and threw for over 300 yards, albeit against a bad Hawaii team. But I I mean, if Nick Evers is, if we're saying, Oh, he's going to bounce past everything that he throws at this point, then he basically has no hope going forward to ever be an effective quarterback. So I, I, we, we saw one throw. That's such a small sample size. I know he looked rattled in the spring game. Uh, it didn't look ready then, but I think you at least have to give him a, a, a chance uh, or somebody else, or even ask Bevel to actually throw it down the field more often. Um, you know, just throwing the ball up and let some guys like your best players in Farouk and Farouk and Mims have a chance to come down with the ball. You probably get a lot more turnovers that way, but the game was over in the second quarter. So maybe the, the entire rest of the strategy, yeah, maybe even in the first quarter, but the entire rest of, strategy, the rest of the game was just basically a give up mentality of we're just going to run the clock out and, and tuck our tails between our legs and go home. And that just is not acceptable at the University of Oklahoma. You have to keep trying something.
1: Yeah, when it was 21 nothing, the game was over. The game was virtually over at that point right now because there was no way in hell that Oklahoma was going to be able to, you know, come back and score 21, much less keep up with Texas offense throughout the rest of the game. But, you know, guys, I I talked about it on the, um, you know, here just a little bit ago, applauding Jeff Levy for him recognizing the fact that the backup quarterback position in Oklahoma is such a liability right now that that was the result of us having to get the game plan or put the wildcat formation in the game plan where you're handing it off to Jill Farouk, you're handing it off to, uh, you know, Eric Gray from, uh, from Braden Willis. But I will say this, and this is one thing that I will criticize I can I can understand if when you're running the Wildcat, if it's a if it's just a simple one-off, like, okay, this is just a quick change of pace play uh to get the defense on their heels a little bit. Yes, you keep the quarterback out wide, but there was a stretch in this game on Saturday, and I'll have to we'll have to go back and take a look at the the statistics for it. But Oklahoma ran the Wildcat play eight straight times. Davis Bevel was lined up out wide all eight times, three of those eight times. Oklahoma ran the ball to his side of the field. Texas had absolutely no respect for him. They knew that he wasn't going to be catching the football. Why, in that situation, instead of it being 10 on 11, why not get another receiver in there? Why not get another fullback? Bring somebody else in on the line of scrimmage to help in the running game. I just thought that so that the was. Defense can't sub.
2: That's your answer.
1: Yeah, but. At the same time, I, I, I don't know. That was just a – to me, I, I just don't understand that. Ten on 11, that was a liability having him out there, whether he was lined up out wide at receiver or him being lined up at quarterback actually taking the snap. Davis Bevel was a liability for Oklahoma on Saturday. And I hate to say that about the kid, but when you're at a place like Oklahoma, when you when you sign up to play quarterback at a school like this with the tradition and the history of the success of quarterbacks that have played in this program, that's what you sign up for. You sign up for being able to go out there on Saturday and your performance is going to dictate how people write about you, how people talk about you. That's just the nature of the beast playing at OU.
0: I think things are pretty bad when Texas beats OU 49 to nothing and no one even uttered the phrase Texas is back because this game was a referendum on OU, not Texas. So a program that has been wandering in the wilderness for over a decade now and still hasn't officially made it back to the upper echelon of college football annihilates OU yet can't put too much stock into that win. Uh, You know, why? Because, well, over the course of three weeks, this football team has been completely destroyed, dismantled, uh, and mentally defeated, honestly. I mean, 48.3 points per game, 12 rushing touchdowns, over 300 yards allowed rushing on the ground. This is just anemic Mm -hmm. football that the Sooners are playing, especially on the defensive side of the ball, which... We haven't touched on as much, but maybe uh, maybe that's something we should actually spend some time addressing.
1: Adam, when Texas scored to go up thirty five to nothing, I had a Texas fan. Uh, uh, it was a couple sitting right in front of me in the OU section, and as soon as Texas scored, he high fived his girlfriend, and he was like, "You know, babe, I literally can't enjoy this as much as I want to because OU is that bad." Like it, I, I, yes, it was satisfying for Texas just because you know they've lost they, you know they've lost ten out of the last thirteen, so that's a good win. Quinn Ewers coming back, you know, anytime that you can hang fifty on Oklahoma, that's a, you know, that's a big time accomplishment for your program. I don't care who you are, but yeah, that I still think that there was some, there was a lack of satisfaction uh, for Texas fans walking out of the Cotton Bowl on Saturday, but. I mean, it doesn't get any easier. We think that Kansas is going to be a gimme. They've been a layup for for this team, you know, basically every year since 2000 with the exception of 07. But, guys, OU defense giving up over 48 points a game the last three weeks. They've been outscored 104-24 to 24 in the last two games against TCU and Texas in the last three weeks. Since Big 12 conference play started, Oklahoma is ranked dead last by over 100 yards. In rushing defense, giving up six point seven yards a carry, over three hundred and ten on the ground a game, it's just bad. Like I've the, never, as an Oklahoma fan, uh, you know, I'm twenty eight years old, been following it for you know the better part of the last twenty. I've never seen an Oklahoma football team as down as they are right now. The question is, is like, why is it
2: this bad? I I, I think I think if it's if you the roster. Look- but but it can't be. That can't be the answer. Because I get that the, the roster's depleted. I understand what left for the NFL draft on the defensive side of the ball. I understand what left to USC on the offensive side of the ball. I really do. But it can't be this bad where we are just not even capable of being competitive. I'm not even talking about winning games at this point. I'm talking about being competitive. I, I cannot get behind. I cannot get behind the rosters that bad. I can't. I I don't know I don't know why. I don't know the solution, but I can't get behind that like this team is bad enough to lose to TCU like they did and to get shut out against Texas. I can't get there.
0: So, if you are a subscriber sooner scoop, which you should be if you're an OU fan, there is a poster on there that over the course of the last couple of years, even before Lincoln Riley left, had been basically going through the depth chart, you know, mm-hmm. recruiting class by recruiting class. And talking about how guys that either left the program, transferred, whatever, um, didn't ever make it to campus, potentially, or maybe have just been sitting there and not developing or doing anything. You know, I won't name names, but you guys know who we're talking about there. But it, it is astounding to see just the attrition rates that the lincoln Riley classes had and how that depth really deteriorated. And I think when you compound that with, okay, all these new guys are going to transfer in, a majority of them from the group of five. Uh, A guy like Jeffrey Johnson, for example, that Tyler, I know was really high on at the beginning of the year that is, I don't even know if he classifies as just a guy. He's been pretty like non-existent in my opinion, but there's guys like that littered all over this, this program. And I've resisted for a long time because I don't want to blame Lincoln Riley. I do think that there is enough talent in Oklahoma, regardless that, you know, this should be a much better product, just like you said, Corbin there but I think we're really starting to see that there's no depth behind some guys. Like we were excited about Ethan Downs. We were excited about Reggie Grimes and those guys were okay through the first couple of games, non-existent, non-existent. Like once those guys drop, you're going to uh, uh, transfer from Hawaii. Uh, and then I don't know, Clayton Smith who doesn't really fit the scheme. So there's just, there's nothing behind those guys. And I think that's kind of the case across the entire defense, because even though we say, yes, we want to see more Jaron Canick, that's one guy. Like, Where else are you going for some of those other positions that you really need playmakers at? And there's there's just not but, guys there. But, but then Adam, at the end of the day, you have to put those guys in a position to succeed, and I don't think that they're doing that.
1: But Adam, you've given up almost 150 points in three weeks. How bad does it have to get before you start to see some of the younger guys out there? But if They didn't uh, what, do anything on Saturday. They had a few snaps late, and it looked the exact same. And they weren't even going up
2: against the starters.
1: I know, but the game's essentially over at that point. All I'm saying is, with all things being equal, the senior versus the freshman, play the freshman. That's the future of the program. You can deal with the growing pains of the the 17, 18-year-old kid. That's the future of the program. He's going to get better as time goes on. He doesn't have any bad habits from the previous staff uh, here. His only impressions as an Oklahoma football player is what Brent Venables is doing at Oklahoma right now. So with all things being equal, and maybe this is something that they're waiting to do until after the bye week in two weeks, but you've got to make some major changes personnel-wise because the 2023 season, it's done. You can't win the Big 12. Honestly, this is a must-win This is a must game this weekend for OU to even have a dream of playing in a bowl game in two months. That's where we're at in Norman right now. So, I don't know. There's been so much talk. Go ahead, Adam.
0: Well, I will say, too, like, Yes, the freshmen might come in and they might be just as bad, but it's the same thing with Nick Evers. Like we could have thrown any warm body out there to hand the ball off to Eric Gray twenty times. It's the same kind of conversation. This defense mentally not at quarterback. Though.
1: I think quarterback's different than putting in like a freshman corner.
0: Yeah. So so in regards to like the defense, like the the freshmen are the guys that are gonna have the juice. They're gonna be excited to play uh, on the field, you know, give it their all hundred percent max effort. They're gonna make mistakes, but um, you know, they're going to be engaged and excited to play. And I just don't see that from this defense right now. Uh, there was a couple of times where it felt like they kind of let up on, you know, a guy that was running down the field. They wanted to tackle him, and did, but didn't really want to hit him. So they just kind of like arm tackled him and the guy ran through it. So at least the freshmen will be amped to be out there on the field. And I think this team needs some of that juice right now.
2: But where, where was the juice late? If it doesn't matter the the type of game, if it doesn't matter you're down the score no 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 if you're, you're down freshman, 50 to nothing if you're a though. freshman if you're a freshman the juice is the same I, least, I thought there at was at least if you're down 40
0: like you have nothing to lose nothing I thought there was some improvements late in the fourth quarter but it was just like I can't say I wasn't there that we saw yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I didn't even watch classic yeah so let me ask you about this one because Brent Venables had an interesting quote or an interesting question posed his way in the press conference today. We're recording on Tuesday, mm-hmm. uh, where someone basically asked him about what you know he saw from Justin Broyles, being that Broyles was a lightning rod uh, for the fan base, and Brent Venables essentially went on this long answer of like, why would anyone spend an ounce of effort, you know, being concerned about him when all he does is give everything he has to the program and could have gone anywhere in the country, but just works really hard. And I'm like, Brent, you just don't, you just don't get it. Like everyone loves Justin Broyles for, you know, the way he loves OU. The same way that we love Baker Mayfield for the way he loved OU. Pat The Fields. difference that Pat Fields is, is a similar guy, like a great dude, I'm sure. Would love to have Broyles stay on, be on staff. I think he can be valuable to OU in, in a number of ways once his playing career is over. But the difference between a Justin Broyles and a Baker Mayfield is one guy makes tons of plays on the field. And the other guy doesn't. At least he hasn't this year. I know at the tail end of last year, he started playing good and he started to get some recognition from fans, rightfully so. But uh, whether it's Broyles or David Agwebu or whoever else that is the scapegoat, like working hard and loving this program is not enough. All of us here on this podcast and all people that listen to this podcast love OU. We're not all playing at OU for athletic and physical reasons that, you know, our limitations for us so you have to actually make plays and i just feel like there's a disconnect there with what the coaches are are valuing and the actual result on the field but what do you want him to say he can't I mean, throw like, his guys
1: under the like,
2: bus <laughs> that's the he, thing we've we've gone back to it for a couple of weeks straight he's like what do you want them to say
0: he didn't like, have to go on that long tirade about like you shouldn't criticize him essentially like Adam, you could have gone think, in a totally different you direction. You got to protect there. your guys.
1: You got to protect your guys, and Adam, that's a conversation that's going to be had in the off season at the conclusion of December. Once you know, once the games are over, once you have to start thinking about Team One Twenty Nine moving on to Twenty Twenty Three. You know, guys, there's been a lot of talk, especially over the last three weeks, of you know Oklahoma's defense's inability to stop the run. They were able to do that for the first three weeks, and now the last three weeks, it's gone to hell. Does Oklahoma run the 30 front? Does Oklahoma get into a four man down front? The, there's been a ton of critic a ton of criticism about the defensive scheme Venables and Ted Roof have deployed, but guys, I want to ask you this and you know, get both of your thoughts after I make this point. What's the alternative? Do we simply run another defense that will not be the permanent defense for the long haul just to try to win a couple of ball games? I don't think so. Keep installing and continuing on getting better, at playing the type of defense that has won Brent Venable's three national championships in his time as a defensive coordinator. The proof's in the pudding. We know that once he gets his guys, once he has time to be able to install this and get his get the athletes in there that fit this system, it works. I'll take a 6-6 six and six season this year knowing we're building the culture and implementing the system that's going to get us back to that high standard that we're so used to at the University of Oklahoma. So I think you have to pick a side.
2: Either you adjust to this defensive strengths and keep playing the guys you're playing or keep your system and let the young guys get experience. Pick one. I'll take because, the latter. And I think most most Sooner fans would. But that's the frustration I think at this point is not only are we not changing the defense to fit the strengths of the defense, but we're not playing the younger guys either. So guys who aren't even going to be here next year are out there basically shitting the bed and we refuse to put young guys into train them to equip them to get better heading into next season that's the stuff to me that doesn't make any sense
1: and I think that's where depending on the outcome this weekend having a bye week next weekend that's when I, I think that know. you're gonna start coaches are gonna have to start really having those tough conversations with players because it's clear guys uh, you know people that have been on campus playing football for OU for the last three to four years are simply not getting it done at this point so what more what more can you do as a coaching staff? To try to get more out of those players that have already been here for the How last three four years. How much worse does it have to be? That's what I'm saying. How if, much if worse it does it have to be? No, no, no. If it
2: didn't happen last weekend, if it does not happen this upcoming week against Kansas. What's it going to take?
1: Yeah, but if there's you one thing lost that we've seen, nothing. I know, I get that. But if there's one thing that we've seen over the last few years, bye weeks are usually when a when a coaching staff chooses to make the bulk or chooses to make the bigger changes within their roster because it gives you that extra week of preparation. To
0: I get don't the think we right. saw
2: that in the past few years in Norman. <clears throat>
0: I would say too, it gives them more time to review and reflect and make a, a decision over a longer Recruit. period of time. Not necessarily because of oh this is the time where we have the most time to prepare a guy. I'll say uh, as far as the defense goes, this is probably the third week in a row I've I've said this. I think I would like to see more man coverage uh, from this unit. I think that will put guys in better chance to succeed. We saw Quinn Ewers. Well, here's, here's why I say that because Quinn Ewers and the Texas offense basically ran several times where they would do max protect run two routes, two routes. Oh, you would drop six or more players to cover those two guys And Quinn Ewers would just sit back in the pocket, waiting for his receiver to make that long cross across the field, right between the safety, the deep coverage, and the linebackers, that medium-term coverage, and he would just drop it in. And I've seen that far too many times over the last couple weeks. I'm not saying go exclusively to man. I'm not saying abandon what Brent Venables is, is pushing for, but mix in some stuff that can help your guys succeed. You have to put your guys in position to succeed. And so I'm not the defensive expert. He is, but like, it's not working. We've had three weeks in a row of, Okay, it it I don't know if it needs to be simplified, but you need to put your guys in a position where they can be successful until they can fully implement his system. I, guys, I is, agree is Ted, I agree. Is
2: Ted Roof on staff next season? No, Ted no. Roof's
1: the fall guy. He'll get fired at the end of this year. Because that's the way that Brent's able to save face with the bulk of the recruits right now. And that's also kind of another problem that I have with Brent, with with the way that everything's kind of being handled right now. You know, the first three weeks of the season, if you watch Brent Venables along the sideline when the OU defense was out there, he was very engaged. He was the one making the calls, getting it into his guys. Which, and you know, that's another thing we talk about too. Uh, Ted Roof can't get a call in on time to the defense. Uh, that's yeah. been a problem each of the last couple of weeks. But yeah, I, I don't think that Ted. I don't think he'll be on staff next season. Um, his son's going to be graduated. He's going to be out of the program. What really, you know. Outside of him maybe being an elite recruiter, what use does he have? This is going into next season. If, you know, ultimately OU continues down the path that they're on right now, you know, whether it's a 6-6, six and 5-7 six, and seven type year to close out 2022, honeymoon phase is over. Next year, Brent's not going to have as much slack, uh, I think, in terms of the big money donors because, you know, going into the SEC in the next couple of years, you don't want to be a wounded duck walking into the SEC conference with some of the programs that are playing really really good football right now. And that's another thing guys that we haven't talked about too. The SEC, it's not just Alabama and Georgia. There's a lot of really really good teams across the across both divisions in the Southeastern Conference. So, yeah, I I don't think the Ted will be on staff next year and you got to get somebody DC? else. It's Brent. I, it's it's got to be Brent. I don't think you can. But okay, but explain why to me. Lincoln Riley, Ryan Day, they're both both the head
0: coach. They both call I plays. I think it's different on the offensive side of the ball. I would say Ted Roof can stick around for the next Ladies' Day next summer, uh, but then uh, then Todd Bates uh, is probably your defensive coordinator in my opinion. He knows Who the is? system really well. Todd Bates. I think it's 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 a promotion for him in a sense. Mm-hmm. So it's another reason to keep him. Uh, he's around he's co DC right now, right? I uh, believe he has I he's co DC. Something like that, or maybe like assistant head coach, or something, something along those terms. But he's he's not taking the blame. He's not taking the the load there. So yeah, I would go with Bates.
1: Guys, this is a very generic question, but we've got six games left. What do you do? Seriously,
2: what do you do?
0: Win three. I like. I I understand that, but games are the most critical. Yeah, beating Kansas and then beating Iowa State. Those are two of the weaker. Well. Tech. say that kansas i mean as good as they are still a talent I deficiency see, i don't see Dino almost, hey, I,
2: I know kansas's quarterback is out this week dean almost beat us last year I, so yeah. let me ask you this guys i was i was texting a buddy back and forth and he said this year's roster is
0: no different than last year's outside of a generational quarterback i agree kennedy brooks was pretty good i'd say he's still better than what we have in the backfield and the is, defensive line defensive players there were were better
1: is this what the 2017, 18, 19 teams look like if Baker, Kyler, and Jalen are playing quarterback in Norman? Especially.
0: I've been actually Kyler's year. Yeah, I've been asking myself that question a lot. Is like, I think, and I think it kind of happened when uh, David Hicks committed to A&M. It's like, okay, I, I need to take a step back and realize that this program that I thought was on that second tier right below Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia, are they even lower than that second tier? Because I wonder if did Lincoln Riley just have lipstick on a pig the entire time he was here basically having top 5 qbs that bailed him out of every single situation and this is what OU really was the last couple of years and i and i think that's probably true and that really hurts to say that hurts I think, because i want OU to become alabama but now i realize we're even further away than than where i thought we were
1: and this is where i go back to the personnel on the roster i think that Lincoln saw what he had in that in the switzer center a year ago he knew what was coming down the pipeline with the recruiting class that was going to be joining this program from a year ago he knew that his time was running out he wasn't going to be able to continue to get by with elite quarterback play you know if if Caleb Williams is in Norman right now this team's probably five and one four and two at worst Um, you're probably beating Kansas State you're definitely a lot more competitive each of the last couple of weeks but um and by the way, Todd Bates, co uh, co defensive coordinator, associate head coach. So he's already got some pretty pretty big responsibility. If you want to continue to keep him in Norman, that may not be a bad promotion. to Just slide him up into there if he understands the passing game as a defensive coordinator with coverages, uh, rotations, and things like that. But guys, one more point here that I, that I do want to ask you guys: What's your pulse on the fan base right now? Are you okay with how this fan base is reacting? Is it warranted? Are we a bunch of crying babies that are don't know how to act when they've <laughs> when things aren't going our way? What's your po- pulse on the fan base right now? Because I think mine's probably pretty different than your guys.
2: Welcome to every other college fan base outside of about three. Welcome, because we've been spoiled to death with amazing quarterback play, and we have. Um, been super fortunate this I've been watching since I can remember OU football for 22 years I've never ever ever seen it this bad now for the people who can get back to the John Blake era um, I think we're in a relatable time but unfortunately with a national brand like OU you're going to get people that hop on and they've hopped on ever since 2000 and they've ridden the wave of at worst what we've won seven games a year at worst I think that has been probably the, the worst year that we've had. Welcome to every other college fan football fan base. Better get used to it because we're not going to do, we we've said this for a long time, guys, as soon as, as soon as we accepted the invitation to join the sec, we've, we've been very consistent, all three of us in the fact that we are not going to have the same success in the sec that we have in the big 12. We're not. Did any of us expect us to see this much of a dip? Probably not, but I think, this is what the majority of fan bases in college of football have to deal with. And unfortunately, it's one of those years where we're really gonna test um the, the fandom of a lot of people. I will say this as kind of my, my last point on this topic. This overall could be a very, very good thing for the OU fan base. If if we can be humbled and humiliated and have to endure this for a couple years and then we actually get back to where I think most people think Brent Venables is going with this team. I think that creates a different home environment. I think that creates a better overall atmosphere within the stadium. I think people would be more hungry for that success and not just going to the playoff, but hungry for the success of we're after a national championship for real. I
0: think this could be an overall good thing for the OU fan base. I don't really have a problem with the fan base. There's always going to be crazy people that react to it. I know there's people that say printables should be fired. That's obviously silly, but it's it's what I would have expected to be in this situation. And, you know, there's some loud voices on message boards or on Twitter that are kind of crazy, but, you know, that's really just to other OU fans. There's not people outside of this program that are really paying that close attention to see what that is. And, you know, we're not anything like Auburn or Tennessee where, um, that's potentially a, a challenge or an issue. So I, I really don't have a problem with the way the fans are reacting. Uh, it just shows me that they're very passionate about this, which is is awesome. So,
1: yeah, I think both of you guys make a re- really good point. You know, Oklahoma football has consistently been great for the better part of the last century. Oklahoma football will continue to be great, uh, but OU fans have been spoiled to death. You you make a re- really good point, Corbin, especially over the last twenty two years and through six games this season. I think our fan base has kind of exposed itself um in a few areas for what it is there's been a lot of criticism of this coaching staff some of it's been fair not gonna lie but i think a lot of it is unfair and a lot of it is because of lack of football knowledge and to top it all off most of the criticism that i think we're getting from this fan base is coming from fans who um you know fans who will not be in attendance because of the play on the field isn't what we've grown accustomed to and you know guys let's not forget the state of this program 10 months ago on offense we lost two really good receivers uh heisman trophy candidate uh spencer rattler is gone lots of incoming recruits are no longer you know no longer going to be here in norman defensively we lost five starters to the nfl two more contributors in the transfer portal the depth behind them was not good enough to begin with last year so why is oklahoma fans um you know did did we just realistically expect for them just to be able to come in and fill fill all those holes and plug those gaps and this be a top 25 uh, defense this year and you know guys We have a lot of guys right now on this roster that are are playing in a a scheme that that they were originally not recruited to be able to do so. That is not a knock on this coaching staff right now. There's no shortcuts to success. This year is a very painful step in getting back to what we've been to for a very, very long time. We will get there. I truly believe that. With Brent Venables and the staff that we've currently got in place, give it some time, allow him to recruit, change the culture. There's a lot of – I think that – if we've known anything about the last five to six years, it's kind of the cream has roasted to the top right now to where we can tell this has uh year in and year out, been a soft football program that has been covered up because of elite quarterback play. They've been able to hide some deficiencies year in and year out, but you know, guys, I really believe that we have the right staff, the right people in place, but right now we need to show that we're you know, one of the premier fan bases in the country right now. you got to pack the palace on Saturday. You've got to continue the sellout streak, make it a, uh, you know, a ruckus home atmosphere against Kansas. I know it's Kansas, but they're also 5-1, and one. and there's also a pretty good chance that they're going to come in on Saturday and beat you if you don't play your A game on Saturday. So we got to rally behind this team because all the negativity that you see from the message boards, social media, in public, I think is hurting this program. Uh, it's hurting recruiting, and it's a cancer to the overall psyche of the locker room. And we've just got to be better as a fan base, and not let three weeks just honestly to make us look like a bunch of. I, I, I don't. I mean, I don't want to cuss on this podcast, but I mean, it just makes us look like a bunch of crybabies because things aren't going our way for the first time in the last twenty years. And I think a lot of the criticism that this coaching staff and some of the players on this team are getting is unwarranted.
0: Oh, let Hold on, let me address that. So you're saying that programs are recruiting well, like A&M or Alabama or Georgia or whoever that's better than us right now. They're all in unison, just cheerleading. Is that what you're saying? Or is there room to critique?
1: There's room to critique, but there's no room for after six games of the inaugural season, of the Brent Venables era, for people to be calling for Jeff Lebby to be fired, for people to be calling uh, for Brent Venables to be fired, for people to... Uh, you know, say that this staff can't develop players. We don't know that. It's way too early in the process. If we're still dealing with this two, three, four years down the line, then yes, absolutely, it's time to move in a different direction. But for Oklahoma fans, and I talk about this specifically as it relates to recruiting and social media, a lot of the stuff that gets put out there, recruits see that. They see a fan base turning on its head coach, turning on its offensive coordinator. And to me, that's just unwarranted right now, six games into a season where, you know, they haven't even had a full year under their belt. They don't have the guys uh, in place to run their system. I, I just think that a, a lot of it is is truly unfair. And I think that the, there's a good portion of the OU fan base that needs to kind of take a step back and take a deep breath and realize that the sky's not falling, although it you know, might appear to be th- uh, because of the last three weeks. But take a step back, breathe, and give Brent some time to fix this. Okay, fair enough. I don't know if I agree, but I appreciate uh, the
2: comments there. Let's transition, guys, to beers and bets. Uh, I put up just as equal of an effort as the OU football team last year, or last week, going 0-5 with my picks. Dropped me into last place. Adam skyrocketing up into first place thanks to a tiebreaker with the pushes on the season at 15-12-3. Tyler just, uh, you know, right in the middle ground like normal, 15-15. and And uh, let's hop into it, guys. Adam, since you are in first place, let's
0: hop right into your picks. I'm going to start at uh, Cameron Indoor, UNC at Duke. This game moved up a half point right before we hit record on the podcast. I'm Somebody the had heels.
2: UNC being good. I don't remember who it was.
0: <laughs> I think it might
1: have been me. It might have been. Somebody's got to win that division. <laughs> I,
2: it ain't Amy. Miami.
0: Yeah, they look they look pretty rough. I'm going to go with the Tar Heels to cover the seven at Duke. This is a road game, but it's only 11 miles between the two campuses. And I think there will be a lot of UNC fans there. Duke has started to trend more towards one of the lower feeding power five teams that we expected them to be coming into the year after a pretty solid start. So uh, I'll take the Tar Heels and uh, the high flying offense there. I just want to pause before we get to Tyler's pick if anybody's
2: been listening for any amount of time on our podcast, before the season we typically do our picks for conference winners and yada, yada, yada. I got shit on for picking Nebraska to be a division champion in the Big Ten. And Tyler picked Purdue to be the division champion in the Big Ten. Guess who's playing this weekend? It is Nebraska versus Purdue. And only one of us has that game on his card, ready to pick out of responsibility to sports and to our podcast of sticking up where you have put all your money into. And and I'm very disappointed, Tyler. You don't have this game on your card.
1: That's, that's just kind of a cheap shot coming off of an 0-5 week and you take the first two minutes of beers and bets to you know kind of throw a low blow here. Yeah, Purdue's going to win the football I game against Nebraska. I cheap shots. Uh, I really I don't, do. I don't, I don't think 14 points, then being able to cover that against the Cornhuskers is warranted for uh, me putting them on my card. So pick number one for me. I'm staying right here in Norman, Oklahoma. Kansas is a nine-point underdog traveling to Owen Field here in Norman. I have no idea why in the world Vegas thinks that Kansas is a nine point underdog. I don't know why they think that Oklahoma um, out of the last three weeks, the way this team has performed, they think that they're, they are nine points better than the Jayhawks. So Oklahoma has been outscored one Oh four to 24 in the last two weeks. I know that Kansas the starting quarterback is out this weekend, but this uh, backup that's coming in Bean, uh, he kind of torched OU last year. And this Kansas team is a little different than what we've seen in years past. So, uh, I think the Kansas uh, will will get this thing done and they will stay within the nine. So give me the Jayhawks and uh, cover the points. Jayhawks plus
0: nine. Back to you, Jim. Adam. I'm taking uh USC to cover the three and a half at Utah. And I hate that I'm doing that. And I hate that I'll be sitting there Saturday night. I guess it'll be a win-win either way for me. If USC loses, that's a win. If they cover, that's a win for the, for the betting record. But, uh, I just think that they're playing too well right now. That defense, somehow Alex Grinch finally figured out how to coach good defense. Didn't do it when he was in Norman, in my opinion. But uh, the Trojans look pretty solid. In Utah, I think, kind of disappointed so far.
1: Corbin, you're next. You're next. You're up, Tyler. What are we doing, Snake? Is that how no, we do this you, thing?
2: You went second last time. <laughs> <laughs> you picked Kansas, Oklahoma, and I, I followed you.
1: Oh, okay. Sorry. you cut it. The audio cut out for a second then. I didn't catch that. Pick number two for me, uh, Clemson traveling down to Tallahassee to take on Florida State. Clemson is a three-and-a-half point favorite. This is a rivalry game. For me, this line seems a little too good to be true. Seems a little closer based on the talent level of these two teams. Uh, but uh, Clemson is the far superiorly talented team. They've got the better coach. I don't care that it's on the road. Give me Clemson to cover the three-and-a-half.
2: Kind of just gives me all the warm and fuzzies because typically Tyler's trying to cut in front of me on my picks and this time he's trying to give it to me. I don't know what world we're living in where OU sucks and Tyler's like waiting on me to go and it's not my turn, but I'm I'm okay with the second half of that. Uh, Baylor plus five first half at West Virginia. I don't think either one of these teams are all that good. I do expect Baylor to beat Oklahoma later in the year, um, but we'll see what happens with uh, Dave Aranda's group in Morgantown. I don't think West Virginia is very good. Come on, Baylor. You just got to be winning at half. That's all I asked for.
1: Just just want to clarify any future discrepancies. Uh, Corbin is taking Baylor plus 0. .5, not Baylor, plus five. Just plus want 0. that on the 5. record. Thank you. There, there you is. go.
0: That seems like a, almost like bait there. seems almost too good to be true. I'm about to get screwed. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I also had Clemson minus three and a half at Florida State, and then I saw it on Tyler's card. And I think as Corbin pointed out last week, we are 0 for on uh, picks that we agree on. Uh, didn't happen against k-state and iowa state last week we both picked the wildcats cover <laughs> there so i'm going slightly different i'll i'll go with the tigers minus two and a half in the first half i thought clemson might have a little bit of a snoozer game against boston college where they might come in asleep uh, last week but that didn't happen and so i think clemson's playing one of the best uh you know uh, teams right now in the entire country so tigers in the first half
1: Pick number three for me. Going out to the SEC, going to a basketball school, Mississippi State traveling on the road to take on the Kentucky Wildcats. Mississippi State is five and one on the year, outscoring their last three opponents in wins, one twenty-seven to fifty-five. Will Rogers has been playing lights out for the Bulldogs, and I think going up against this Kentucky defense on Saturday, he's poised to have another big game. I'm never super confident uh, in betting betting against Kentucky, especially when it's in Lexington. But Mississippi State is playing too good right now, so give me the Bulldogs minus six and a half levis plan it looks like he will i think he is you still feel I th- good with that think he is Yeah. still think i still feel good about that
2: uh adam i'm gonna echo you uh usc plus three and a half uh i have a feeling this is another trap game i think utah is probably a little bit better than what they looked against ucla but at some point you're as good as you start playing and um Utah hasn't necessarily looked good against better offense. They lost to Florida. Florida's pretty
0: bad. So uh, give me USC plus three and a half. I'm ready to eat dirt on that one too. For my number four, I'm also going to the Pac-12. And I'm going with Arizona at Washington. Over under on this, I think was the highest on the entire board out of all the games this week. 73. This is not a Pac-12 after dark game. This is a Pac-12 two 30 in the afternoon game. So I'm, uh, I'm actually taking the under on this one. I, I just think that although Arizona and Washington both have, you know, pretty bad defenses and pretty good offenses, it's not necessarily the recipe that you would expect, but I'm just betting on the wildcats, not being able to travel nearly as well and play that good away from home. I think Washington gets a little bit back on track after a couple of rocky losses the past two weeks. So give me the under there on 73.
1: Pick number four for me, going back out to the SEC, Vanderbilt traveling to Athens to take on the Georgia Bulldogs. Over under on this one, guys, is set at 58.5. Vanderbilt's one of the worst teams in the Power 5 year in and year out. Uh, Georgia, if they show up, if they have any vested interest in this game whatsoever and playing well, I'm not sure Vanderbilt scores more than seven. So give me Georgia in a blowout, but they're going to keep this thing under the total of
2: 58.5. Oh, man. Stanford at Notre Dame. I think Notre Dame is starting to play a little bit better. I still think Stanford's pretty bad. This game scares me a bit. Um, Notre Dame, what, three wins in a row now? Is essentially a let up game here. Uh, I don't think so. Give me the Irish
0: minus 17. Irish. I am, uh, for my last pick, I don't hate the troops. I'm going with Air Force covering five and a half in the first half at UNLV. I know Tyler likes to complain that I pick teams that he doesn't recognize. That's University of Nevada, Las Vegas for you, Tyler. Uh, The uh, Rebels there (laughs) might be without their starting quarterback, Doug Brumfeld, who has been pretty solid for them. Uh, UNLV looks much improved this year, but I don't think they have enough against Air Force. I could have picked the entire game here, but this starts at 930 and I want to be able to watch it. So I just picked the first half. That's the only logic behind that. Here comes Tyler's Purdue pick. Pick number five for me. This is where I'm Pick really Purdue. Gonna
1: make, this is where I'm really going to make up some ground on you two this oh weekend. USC God. traveling on the road to take on Utah. Utah is a three and a half point favorite in this one. I know Utah is coming off of a pretty That's pretty a nice tough point. loss uh, on the road against UCLA, but this is a bounce back game for Utah Kyle Whittingham's group. Um, I know that USC's got the flash. They've got the quarterback. They've got the running back. They've got the skill talent out on the perimeter, but. Utah has got Cameron rising, and they've got a big-time advantage on both sides of the ball in the line of scrimmage. So this one, they're going to try to muddy the waters up in this one. This is going to get ugly. Uh, I think that Utah is going to cover the 3.5 and
0: hand USC their first loss of the season. And I will RC. be very happy if you gain a game on me by that. I just um, want to I, I just want to
1: right. go ahead and say that I'm proud as an OU fan to be the only one on this podcast not rooting for Lincoln Riley to win this weekend. You picked so. USC to cover like the first 4 weeks of the year. It's true. <laughs> True. That's when they were playing bad opponents. Not not. It's Utah. amazing
2: how things just like you know go up and down with Tyler. He changes his opinion and just flip, snip, snap, snip, snap. That's right, Adam. <laughs> Purdue uh,
1: will take the lead in the Big Ten West standings this weekend over Nebraska. Then no, pick them. I'm not picking them to win by 14. I'm not betting a 2 t- I'm not betting a two touchdown spread in the Big Ten that doesn't involve Ohio State. So pick them. Now Purdue's going to win, champ. but they're not. They're pick not them. on the card. Okay, they're going to win the Big Ten West. Aiden O'Connell, yeah, I, baby, go boiler makers.
2: If Nebraska is that bad, Purdue. Should, if the big, if Purdue is the Big Ten West champion, they should be able to beat Nebraska by fourteen. We'll see.
0: I hope Purdue wins by like thirty. Just, to, <laughs> I would. <love>
1: that. <laughs> That'll be my most vested interested in game uh, the entire weekend outside of OU Kansas. I'll be following most that vested what, what because he has put a pick on it. Right? <laughs> what time? What time is that game on Saturday? Let me, you let me should know that's your Big Ten West champion. Nebraska Purdue on Saturday. What time does this thing kick off? guys? UNC
2: minus four first half at Duke. That's my I final think, pick. I think that's
1: a really solid pick. I Ooh, that's a night that. game night game at, uh, at Purdue.
0: I'm still screams, not going to do it though. Still Screams not a four touchdown game. Yeah. You know, that crowd's going to be invested. How about score predictions for this Saturday against Kansas? Yeah, I man. guess I can lead things off here. I I guess I'll preface this by saying I believe that Dylan Gabriel returns this Saturday. I think yeah, that seems to be the, the common thinking there. And I think as bad as things have been over the last three weeks, when Dylan Gabriel was in there, the offense was moving the ball. The offensive line has looked pretty solid, both in pass protection and running game. And I think that continues. There's still some play calling and strategizing that I would like Jeff Levy to improve on. But I think the offense with Dylan Gabriel uh, finds a lot of success uh, this this Saturday. The defense, on the other hand, is, is going to be interesting. We'll see if they can um, you know, stop some of that rushing game. Now, Kansas doesn't have their starting quarterback. Their running back, one of their top running backs, is out for the year, I believe. So they have about 500 yards in production that's not going to be on the field this Saturday. So can OU stem the tide against some backups? I'm betting that they can. I think Kansas will move the ball a lot, but I think OU will, will hold up and uh, limit them to some field goals. So I've got OU 38, Kansas 30.
2: Thirty-eight Jayhawks, Sooners twenty-seven. Uh, you can't look this bad and expect to win a football game. I, I don't think. It, I think all of us would be fooling ourselves if we fully expected Oklahoma to win this game. I, I think it's better. I think we're competitive. I don't think it's as ugly as what we've seen the past two weeks. But I don't think it's good enough to beat the Jayhawks. Thirty-eight twenty-seven.
1: Ugh. Walking out of the walking out of the Cotton Bowl on Saturday, uh, my dad asked In the me. Third have... quarter. Have we hit rock bottom as a – okay, I had tickets to go see Morgan Wall. I'm not going to miss Morgan Wall and watch watch us get our ass kicked uh, by 49. But um, he asked me, have we hit rock bottom as a program right now? And I said, no, rock bottom is when you lose at home to Kansas on Saturday, and that's something that's going to potentially happen. Well, guys, I'm going to pick it to happen. I think the Dylan Gabriel coming back, that is going to spark the offense, but I just don't at this point in the season right now trust this defense uh, with what I've seen over the last three weeks. So I'm going to go with Kansas kicking on a last-second field goal to beat Oklahoma 34-31 to 31 on Saturday in what will ensue as the worst two-week stretch as an Oklahoma fan heading into a bye week. Uh, is the sellout streak
2: over Saturday? How honest I actually, do you be? How honest do you I want to be? I actually
0: think it's in pretty good shape because I I believe this is Teachers' Weekend, which is uh, tickets that have been hey. sold uh, in previous. Uh, Love, weeks. The so I, Love the teachers. Love the teachers. Does the crowd actually show up and use the tickets? I don't know. We'll we'll see. It'll be interesting to see how the crowd reacts in certain situations. You know, do we see some boos or something like that? Real quick uh, for you guys, what would your score prediction be if there's no Dylan Gabriel this week? Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> does, uh, does OU score? And, Kansas, and let, me, let me preface this by saying also that Kansas is the number one rush defense in the Big 12. Uh, well, here's what
1: I'll say. Uh, two points on this. If Dylan Gabriel doesn't play on Saturday and they trot Davis, or Davis Bevel out there, then you have my permission, OU fans, all 85,000 of you, to boo in your seats if that's the quarterback that rolls out there. Now, if Dylan Gabriel does not play on Saturday – OU will get housed by Kansas. Three touchdown loss.
2: 42-10 would be my score prediction.
1: I was going to go like 38, 38, 13. Maybe Marvin Mims uh, returns a touchdown. It'd be I bad. Know that Jason
0: Bean, it'd be bad. I know that Jason Bean had some success against OU last year and looked good against TCU. Uh, I'm just impressed that. You guys are still giving him that much credit that he can do he it threw, two weeks in a row. It's not he about threw, him. He threw,
1: yeah. he threw four touchdowns last week in the second half against CCU, but yeah. It's not about him. It's about it's how bad OU is.
0: is. Yeah.
1: I don't think it has I I mean.
0: I mean, call me an optimist, but I just I don't feel like it can get continue to get worse than it has the last three weeks. So maybe I'm maybe I'm an idiot, maybe I'm a fool like Tyler or like Corbin said for picking OU to win this game. But I just feel like I, some things I, will get solved just by being at home. And uh, Adam all and getting Dylan Gabriel back, of course.
1: Adam, I'll take it a step further on here. Kansas doesn't have their starting quarterback. I don't care if you lose by thirty or if you lose by one. If you lose on your home field this weekend to the Kansas Jayhawks, coming off of three straight losses, coming off of getting your ass kicked forty nine to nothing by your arch rival in Dallas, if that doesn't light a fire under your ass this weekend and this week in practice, and you lose to Kansas on your home field on Saturday morning at eleven AM, yeah. That's about as bad as it gets.
2: I don't think I think we've already hit rock bottom. I'm not with you there. Kansas is a pretty good football team this year. I think they're probably they're probably better than Texas. That'll be a very intriguing game. Now, unfortunately, I, I wit I do wish that Kansas would be healthy going against Texas. I don't think I don't think uh Jason Dean's gonna beat the Longhorns. If all things were equal, I'd probably give Kansas a slight favorite. Slight, very but Kansas has been ranked, guys. Like this is a, a legit football team this year. I don't think it's a fluke. I think uh, I think we've already hit rock bottom. I don't think losing at home is gonna gonna do much.
1: You think Kansas is better than Texas right now?
2: If if all things were equal, yeah, I don't think they are right now with Dean at quarterback. But I think if if the Daniels kid would be starting, I think that would be a very good game. I think, guys, I'm I'm starting to buy in stock on TCU. Like yeah. I think that's a pretty good football team. Yeah, I, I, think I think you're looking is pretty good it. football
1: team. I think this weekend will be a uh the first of two matchups in the Big 12 championship. TCU and OSU. TCU. Who do you guys had. like? That's in Fort Worth, isn't it?
0: Yeah, yes. I like TCU on that one. Oklahoma State faced a ton of plays, um, mm-hmm. their defense did so. Yeah, and we I, still, I
1: haven't, we football still football. haven't had a bad Spencer Sanders game, he's due for one a year. At least one a year.
2: Isn't it amazing how far we've come from this conversation? We've gone from. That's a credit to him. Record it. That's credit to him. Record it and save it for future use. We have gone from Spencer Sanders last year, not being a top five quarterback in the Big 12, to, oh, Spencer Sanders has one bad game a year. That's where we've come as a podcast. Tyler, you are are growing as a human, and I'm so proud of you.
0: He's not the best quarterback people can't change.
2: Who is? Come on, let's get into it.
0: Yeah, it might be, might be Quinn Ewers. Spencer's, I would still like to see Spencer's some more played. Some more great,
1: absolutely, he yeah. has.
0: Yeah, he has. Well. We've basically run run the gamut, Uh gamlet on everything. Tyler has flip-flopped on a few different things. He's also said that Spencer Sanders is a, is a good quarterback. So I don't know what else we could possibly say on this uh, episode of the Mainline that would make it better. So if you please Dylan this
1: far, play on Saturday, please play
0: on that's Saturday, Saturday that's right. DG. That's right. So if you made it this far, um, definitely it's drop us a five star review on Apple Podcast or wherever you yeah. listen to your podcast. We definitely <laughs> appreciate that. And uh, make sure to subscribe to us on Twitter as well. You can find us at the mainline pod. And you can also find us on YouTube, The Mainline Podcast, uh, just by searching there. So appreciate everyone listening. Hopefully the Sooners can take home a victory and we can have a little bit more positive podcast going into a long two weeks off for the Sooners. And uh, we'll see everyone again next week on The Mainline